Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. Fantastic. So, Elizabeth, great to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. Thank you so much, Guy. Well, listen, I know who you are, and um, we've been talking, obviously, before we got going, but I would just like you to introduce yourself to the audience so they have a sense of you. Sure, thanks. Uh, So I've been in the corporate space and doing work in nonprofits for about 25 years, and I just got super interested in uh, more HR, but leadership development, you know, from a fellow geek who loves that stuff like I do. Um, and I was with ADP most recently. I was heading up their global talent uh, and leadership development team and then left to start my own business, specifically helping simplify as best as possible change uh, for leaders and teams. Perfect. Well, you have a book, which is one of the reasons that we um, came together to have a chat called Forward, Leading Your Team Through Change. Um by, and it is worth saying, Dr. Elizabeth Moran. So that is worth putting the, the, the doctor uh, in there. Um, and I'm just making sure my phone's off, actually. How awful that would be if it, uh, my Domino's pizza order came through while we were uh, recording. So let's uh, make sure that's off. And um, so we, I do want to get stuck into that. And um, But I think what I would like to do is, even though you gave that sort of short history, I'd, I'd love to know the stepping stones that got you to where you are today, just in terms of that, that kind of um, the trajectory that brought you into a space where you felt, you know what, I'm, I'm probably in a position to offer my thoughts to the world because of the experiences that I've had and what that's shown me. Oh, great. Yes. Wonderful question. So I think overarching, when I first started my career journey, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So my dad's like, you like people, why don't you get into human resources? Yeah, me and everybody else. So it's really been that, plus when I was, you know, starting out my career, I ended up moving to San Francisco and was really disillusioned with HR at that point, because those were the days when when people didn't know what to do with an executive, they stuck him to be head of HR. So it was quite disappointing (laughs) oftentimes. We've come a long way since then, but that's how it used to be. And then I got a doctorate in clinical psychology. And along that journey, I also worked with inmates. I designed a personal growth class, so did that for four years, helping people figure out how did I get here. Um, And so a lot of my journey has been really pivoting in very different directions. One, because of curiosity, just I'm intensely curious and interested in a variety of things. But also because sometimes the universe throws blocks in your path or detour opportunities. And so I've moved in the corporate space. When I got back, uh, when I finished my doctorate, I decided I want to get back into corporate uh, because I didn't feel done with trying to, uh, I think, ultimately help people make better choices. I felt organizations, i.e. people, were still doing kind of stupid things to demotivate people. So I wanted to see if I could help make the workspace more joyful. So I did that and really focused my career there and then had another series of a ton of change. Um, I was at Lehman Brothers when all that blew up. So 
I really sort of in my own brain sort of, you know, had to do a lot of work to, to adjust my perspective. Cause when that happened, I was still, I think, filled, filled with a lot of fear and anxiety about what was coming next. So it's been a lot of personal journey work to get me here. And then again, really loved my time um, at ADP. It was, I, I learned a lot, but also there, I think was the place where I really cemented my work that, that really resulted in the book. And so we can certainly talk more about that. But I, but I think it was this real passion for, wow, this concept of change management, or I call change leadership, is amorphous for a lot of people. It's overwhelming. And while there are a lot of fantastic resources out there, I couldn't really find one that was particularly helpful for me when I was actually one of those leaders trying to lead my team through change. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, when I hear somebody talk about something like that, that sounds very easy to say. Instinctively, I can read that, you know, with the right bottle of wine, each one's got a real set of stories that we could probably spend some time on, which which is, you know, very often that reason why, you know what, you know, I think I can write a book about this, um, which, is very, which is very powerful. Exactly. So I love that. So here we have, we have this, uh, we have your book, uh, Forward, Leading Your Team Through Change. Um, Give me a sense then of, you know, when somebody looks at it or they say, oh, you know, why would I read this? What, what, who, who's it for? Lay the, lay the, um, lay the groundwork for that. So it is for people like me and you. Uh, or really anybody who's in a leadership role who has to lead their team through change. Now, do we really need another book on change? Um, That was really the the question that I kept asking myself when I was trying to narrow it down to answer your question, which is, who do I want my audience to be? Who needs this? So again, putting myself in the shoes of those leaders, what I found was there were tremendous resources available on large-scale organizational change, many of which are very good. So theory, practice, how do you get a whole company to shift? So I found that. Then I also found resources that were short articles. Again, also great information, but for me, that was really lacking this, well, well, how do I do this? Yes, I know I need to communicate. It's kind of a duh, but but how do I do that? So what I did was created a book that was really for the people leader who has to lead their team through a change that neither they nor their team initiated, which is how a lot of organizational change happens. That's one. Two, I wanted to give people some concepts, but more importantly, I wanted to dig into, and this is how you do it. I want to make it as easy as possible for people, excuse me, for people to actually implement this. So I also include, for instance, tough conversation guides. So someone says, you know, am I going to lose my job with this change? I, I actually give people the words to use to be able to be a little less anxious about that conversation. And then lastly, I think what's different is I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek, so I could talk about it forever. If you glaze over, I promise you, I will stop. Um, But what I have found is most people actually find that quite um, comforting and validating. So it's like, oh, so I take five concepts. There's a ton 
but I take five and I try to say, well, so why should you care about this? So I make it really easy. And I think in general, the book is not a boil the ocean approach. The book is, look, you're really busy. You're completely overwhelmed probably, but you care, but you don't have a lot of time and resources. So I'm going to get this down to a couple of things that you could do in, in an order and hopefully we'll make it less likely that your team will resist a change as you go forward. So that's it. I like that idea. <clears throat> Excuse me. I like that idea of um, change that you haven't instigated, which is very interesting. I deal with a lot of people in the leadership space, in the coaching space, who it, it's not their context around what to do. It's their relationship with what they're being asked to do. So there is, and, mm -hmm. and I'd be interested to know how you, I'm sure you have a different vocabulary, but maybe we say the same things, but obviously I want to hear what your thoughts on this are, which is there is the process of things. There is the, the toolkit, the, the mechanic behind doing whatever needs doing. And then there is the, the what it is that you're being or who I'm being and who this team is being while we're doing it. So I just very much talk about Frank Sinatra singing doobie doobie doo. And that's uh, this idea that you're when you're doing anything with other human beings, you're going, what have I got to do, but who have I got to be? And, yeah. you know, I'm sure that, that, that doesn't have the word neuroscience in it when I talk about it. But the important thing is, I guess, your your thoughts around um, how much of this is the person's reaction to their emotional state, their carrying the, the, the weight of the decision regardless of what they actually need to do to do it, i.e. if they actually thought it was a great idea you know they'd be often so how much of this is the being as opposed to the doing oh i love that question first of all the fact that you asked that question sort of highlights i don't feel there's a lot of separation and i think most of us are coming to that realization between who are we and how do we be we be right when we are partnering and leading other people. So there is a combination of both. And I, I think, again, to me, what your question implies is that people have time, especially leaders, I mean, anybody, but if you're leading a team through changes, focus on that, that you start with yourself. You know, leadership, like parenting or anything, is one of those journeys where it will it's it's very humbling it will knock you down and pick you up usually in a way to help you figure out what is it in this experience that i'm calling in to grow and develop so so much of been able to lead through change successfully or effectively and when i say successfully i don't mean the end result is that people are happy okay so we can separate those out that's nice when that happens but oftentimes it doesn't. So if I don't have happiness to hold on to, how do I keep going as a leader? What do I hold on to um, that can help me and my team through the difficult parts? And so the, the book really starts off with this idea of start with yourself. So how do you feel about the change? 
where are you at in all of this? And then I certainly go through some steps that help leaders do the doing part, but it all starts with acknowledging that as humans, we are hardwired, whether we like it or not, to look at any change in our environment as scary. That's, that's just bottom line the way it is. So the first thing is once we start looking at resistance not as a problem, but as normal, then that's then we can i think start to be much more real with each other i don't have to convince you i can allow you to have your emotions your reaction that's cool i could not control that anyway so how do i actually invite that as important information and invite that in you but to do that to be able to sit with anybody's emotion i have to be able to tolerate that in myself and so as a leader you know, how do I, especially if I don't agree with this change, I'm not sure I'm on board with it. How do I be authentic? How am I able to be authentically myself through this journey? And that's a big one for a lot of leaders. They don't, they don't feel like many leaders struggle with, if I'm not 100% on board with this change and feel great about it, I can't lead through it. And that's a conundrum for people. So I, I wove a lot into your question. So I don't know if I answered it, but feel free to dig in, segue. Well, I think what I'm, I get very interested in this idea of the difference between the intellectualization of a thing and then the internalization of it. This, mm -hmm. uh, as we've just, just been speaking about in some respects, I know what you're asking me to do, but it's how I feel about it. And, um, Tell me how this resonates with you or, or not, or your language that would be different or, or the same or whatever that might be. I have this little idea of this thing I call umbrella beliefs, which is, you know, an umbrella is bigger than you, right? So that's how otherwise it wouldn't work for rain. So if you have a belief that's bigger than you are, it keeps you dry. So if I believe that people need to be motivated and engaged as much as they can be, and I mustn't poison the well. I believe that. Mm -hmm. People need mm -hmm. to have somebody that gives clarity even when there's uncertainty, etc. Keep that list going as, and add as many things to it as you want. When you ask me to do something I don't agree with, if I believe in one or two or 20 things that are bigger than the message, i.e. I need to be a professional regardless of that or I need to not poison the well with these people, and etc. So if you can believe in something that's bigger... You can maintain your integrity, not because you believe it's the right thing to do, as long as it's not fundamentally unethical, which would be a whole different conversation. But you believe in something that's more important than what I'm being asked to do. It's more important Ooh. that I don't poison the well. It's more important that I show you what professionalism looks like. It's more important that I fulfill the promise I make in an interview to get the job. It's more important that, you know, so that's a bigger belief than whether or not I believe in it. And, and that means I can be a professional or I can fulfill the task with integrity. Does, yeah. How does that resonate with you when, when you hear that, Elizabeth? It I love that, actually. You said that quite beautifully. I'm going to ask you a question. So in those moments when you're not at your best and you feel like you've been knocked off that belief or that belief is harder to embody, what are some of the things you do 
to try to have that belief kind of inform your actions. Again. Yeah, and, and that's very powerful because because uh, I don't want to make this about my book; it's about your book. So please, I've got yeah, to be very please. very careful what I do here. <laughs> but so. I do believe that it's relatively easy to go through the intellectual exercise of understanding that my role is bigger than the task I'm being asked. All right, you can make those those intellectualizations. It's important that I'm professional, that I don't poison the well, that I blah blah. But I also believe I should be fit. Right? So again, intellectually I know how to join the gym, I know how to, but am I actually going to do it right so whenever so you're talking about that yeah you've been asked but now it's it's not a straightforward intellectualization and off i go you've met that barrier you're resisting it so i talk about emotional levers and for me it's creating something personal to you that has an emotional link to yourself that shifts you to a space of action so my and it's changed since I've had children. My emotional lever is if it was take your kids to school week, and let's just say, for example, Milo, my oldest, who would understand, and I was put in a scenario where it was going to shift my behavior or make me kind of not take ownership and start gossiping or be a bit of a saboteur or whatever, he'd be looking at me because he thinks I'm Superman and he'd be looking for what good looks like. And if he left that room thinking, oh, my dad's full of it, he talks the big talk at home, but actually when push comes to shove, that's not who he is. That would really, really affect me. So I use a very particular, if Milo was here, what would I do? And it could be different levers for different, different things. But I do believe you can have the intellectualization of, I know I need to do the job these are the things that I envisage and visualize to help me make the right decision. And they'll work a lot of the time. But then there are times when I'm really struggling with this. And then I almost pull out the big guns and go, right. And it could be maybe what would my dad think of me? Or do I just not want to let you know, what's that that story I tell myself that personal narrative, or it doesn't matter what it is. But you've got to have something that's an emotional lever that allows you to get through your own BS and your own fears or, your own, or whatever it is. So that's how I, uh, and that's not necessarily the right way, but I found that a very powerful tool, not the right way, sorry, it is the right way for some people. It's, it, the, I'm sure there are other ways, but that's the one I offer as, yeah, yeah you can do the work for the person you want to be, but then you've got to have a lever that will actually make you do it. Otherwise it stays as an academic intervention versus something that actually metabolizes into something genuine and real. So that's that's my response to that. That's a great response. I actually am hearing a couple of things in what you're saying, so I'm going to play it back to you. The first is that there's a value in that. What's my purpose? Like I, I hear that it's not just about me. It's about other people are watching me. And no matter what happens, if in a year, two years, somebody looks back on this time, what do I want them to have learned or to have taken from this, even in the short term, if it's tough? So I hear a belief. What I also hear is neuroscience actually in there, which is wonderful too. And again, you can have to you know cut me off because I could talk about this stuff forever. This is the thing that I think uh, unless you know this, it's very hard to be a human. 
once you realize your brain is much more geared to pick up on the negative um, and that our brains are really set us up to look at things askew and mostly in the worst possible light. Now, why? Ultimately to protect us. Um, we apparently remember the negative. We, we give that three times more psychological weight than the positive. So those experiences build. So when you have a brain that's set up that way, you actually need to have something to make a choice to do. So once you're aware of that, even though it's going to feel odd to choose that, you know what, I really feel like uh, acting in one way, resisting, being negative because I'm frustrated, I'm anxious, I'm tired. I realize my brain's setting me up to do that. So I'm going to make a choice in this moment to, I'm going to hold on to that ideal or that lever that I have and believe in that, but now I've got to make a choice to take actions that align like that, even if it doesn't feel authentic in the moment, which is the weird thing because we have these neural pathways. So if we've been used to the negative, it's going to feel like you're not doing something right. Actually, for a lot of people, it feels like, oh, it's just fluff. I'm going to act like everything is great. And it's like, no, no, that's not what it is. You are making a choice to try to say something positive could come out of this. Right. If we make a choice and I want to lead through, let's just talk about I'm going to lead through this change. I'm not 100 percent sure about it. I've got my own resistance, but I realize I am an umbrella. As you say, my job is to protect and enable my team. So that's going to influence me. I'm also going to realize that I'm much more likely to think about what could go wrong and somehow make that right. Right. As opposed to being like, well, what could actually go right here? Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't, right? And, and those things alone can really help somebody, as you just said, lead through a change. The other thing that I've found that I've told leaders is as soon as you put the judgment of yourself aside. So the reason I asked you that question is what I find so often is that people are so critical of themselves. They get lost in that. And they feel like if I'm not feeling this positive thing today, or I didn't lead in the right way, that means it's all, you know, ex insert expletive right there. And so that's the other piece that's, that's really important is that, is that leaders sort of begin to put the judgment aside. So if it's harder for me to reach that being that ideal today, that's okay. Right, I'm still going to go through these actions, but I'm also going to to listen to myself to see if there should be some self care. I find that's really hard for people, but it's much easier to do to be your authentic self, even to show up for your team. This is incredibly powerful. If you aren't a hundred percent on board with the change you're leading, to add to what you're saying, you can share with your team. Here's here's what I believe in. Here's what I'm trying to do. But in doing that. I want to be authentic with you, which is saying, I have concerns about this change too. I'm not 100% on board with it. So, okay, but guess what? We can work through that and we can still move forward together. I, I, I hear a lot of that and I, and I buy into it completely. I, I think I've got this thing about what we can actually do is decide who we want to be while we're doing it. 
So 100%. it's okay for us to acknowledge that we agree or we disagree. However, if any one of us was in charge, we'd all be making decisions that other people would agree or disagree with to a, to a various level. And if only if you can only ever be motivated if you agree with it, then no business has a chance at its workforce ever succeeding. You know, if we've all got to agree about everything all the time, how is that possibly going to work? So actually what we're being asked is two things. One, you know, do we understand? Then have we been heard? And then our willingness to then commit regardless of our opinions. Yes. As long as it's not unethical or as long as it's not. Exactly. Yeah. And you just you just actually said the three things, right? The three priorities of change leadership or any leadership is compassion, communication, and clarity. Those are, so in the book, I talk about some of the neuroscience concepts. And then I say, out of this come these three priorities, which is exactly what you're talking about. You may not agree, but guess what? That's organizational life. Right until your name is on the awning, right? This is the direction we're going in. So at some point, everybody does have to decide. And as a leader, you can't control anybody's decision to change, right? So in, in a weird way, I think a lot of a lot of leaders feel that pressure that they have to make people change. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. I sort of joke around, you know, years of therapy, and I'm still working on that one. But then I remember, I can't do that. But what can I do? I can provide, here's what it is, here's your connection to it, and then I could take some time to say, well, if this change is troubling for you, tell me why. I'm just going to listen. I, I don't have to take that as defensive. I don't have to convince anybody. I can just allow people their reaction because that's the thing that I think was the big aha for me when I dug into this more is change is a great idea when it's your idea, right? When it's not your idea. As you think about organizations, the leaders who are deciding on a change for the organization, they've already made the decision. So by the time they announce it, they're already, they've already decided. The people who are hearing it for the first time haven't had that access to information. So a lot of the book is just reminding people, remember, they, don't, they haven't had what you've had. They need some time to adjust and even say no. <laughs> okay. Okay, that doesn't have to be a no forever, but for now, fair enough. Oh, I love that. And so somebody gave me a great analogy. He said, you know, you're the captain of a, of a rowing boat, right? And you want people to row differently. So they've got to change. But what you've got to remember is there's no change for you. Because you're, yeah. you're not rowing. 100%. So That's, actually... I love that. Right, and it really struck me that, as in, ah, of course... Very often at the top, if we're doing a systems change or a process change or whatever it is that we're doing, the people at the top very often won't have to change. Mm -mm. They won't actually mm -mm. experience any of the actual change itself. So exactly. when, when I started to think about that, some years ago that was offered to me by somebody wiser than myself, I was able to go, ah, and that's why often it can look like senior people are dealing with change better. It's not. They're just not actually having to change. <laughs> You know, Guy, and actually, that's such a good point. Nobody has actually framed that in all my conversations I've had that way. So thank you for that, 100%. And it's not that being in those roles isn't hard, but it's often this mindset. 
and I'm going to geek out on you. I can't Please do. say it's going to be the last time, but, <laughs> but one of the other things that when I was looking at some neuroscience stuff, doing some research, one of my mentors, Dr. Richard Boyatzis, he um, pointed out some research in uh, his latest book called Helping People Change that uh, honestly was one of those other light bulb moments for me. It's we have these systems in our brains, you know, overly simplified called the analytic network and the empathetic network. And the analytic network helps us analyze data, decision, make decisions, problem solve, right? Sort through things, meet timelines. Really important, really important when you're leading through change. The empathetic network, on the other hand, helps us look at patterns, sort of almost like pick your head up, look for patterns, see and recognize emotional cues, even if it's not spoken, but be sensitive to those things that humans do in our environment. The kicker is that when one of these systems is active, it suppresses the other, which to me was all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, no wonder. Most organizations are geared towards and reward analytic network activities. And so most of those senior leaders, once they've made the decision, they're focused on getting it done. When they're in that mode, they're not picking up on and they're not even thinking about, hmm, I wonder what the impact is going to be on my people. They don't do that unless they actively toggle and switch gears. And that explained a lot for me about why the emotional uh, side of change often, even though people intellectually, as you said earlier, they get it. Oh, yes, yes, I know it's important. And they even want to do it. But when they're so focused on this, these other activities, unless they carve out time to create the space to look for it and to have conversations about it, it is going to get tossed aside. And that also explained to me why these you know, poor project managers often have so much on their shoulders. And it's impossible neuro, neurologically for them to pay attention to both, right, the people side and the project aspects of a change. And so this is why it is so important to create those conversations where we're just focused on imagine we're on the other on the receiving end of this change or this action if we were in those people's shoes what would they think or feel i mean you really have to switch gears and and even that's hard for leaders because i found they're afraid to do that they think if i do that i'm going to slow things down and that's one of those famous things of well i'm telling you what if you don't do that you're going to slow it down a lot more you know, potentially a month or a year from now, then if you take an hour now and have a think about that and then respond potentially accordingly. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. I have this sense of a place I've got to in dealing with change and working with people in change learning is the biggest mistake you can make, I believe, and tell me what you think about this, is to try and get people to agree with you. What you should be putting your energy into is getting them to commit to contributing. Because if you say to me, for example, I thought that film was fantastic. And I go, oh, I hated every minute of it. Right. It was a t- diabolical film. You've, you've made me watch it now. 
and we go right now we're going to take but we're taking the kids to watch it you know the two families that you made me watch it before we went out i didn't like mm -hmm. it but now we're going to take the kids to go and watch it right mm -hmm. do i say to the kids oh, it's a terrible film it's a terrible film mm -hmm. it's, it's for kids mm -hmm. you know i i'm going to have to sit there and not enjoy it or do i show them my excitement do i show them that it's going to be a great film and what I mean by that is you can't change my mind on what I think about that film. It's absolutely mm -hmm. shocking. Mm -hmm. But actually what you can do is get me to commit to making sure it's a good experience for the kids. And what so I'm, interesting. Do you, see what, do you see what I'm trying to say? So yeah. why, do, do you intellectually understand what I want you to do? Yeah, I want you to take the kids to see the film. But I also want you to give them a good experience, which kind of links back to the umbrella beliefs thing. You know, do you believe that the kids are more important mm -hmm. than your own agenda? But... I think there's something here about one of the biggest things I see that goes wrong with change is trying to get everybody to say it's a good idea. Mm, Actually, let that, 100%. let that go. You can't take, I can't get 10 people to agree on where they're going to go for dinner. You know, somebody's going to end up there going, well, I don't really want to be here because I hate Indian food or I hate Chinese food or I hate chicken or I hate, you know, but I'm here because, you know, but actually you're not here to eat food you like. You're here to contribute to the team being out having a time of connection. So you yeah. can't really make people agree with you, but you can agree right. that actually what we're going to do something, we're going to do something amazing or we're going to do something. So so I don't know yeah. how that resonates it's with you. It's nuanced. Yeah, it totally resonates. So I'm going to ask you another question. So let's imagine there's a change that you have to lead your team through and you're not you're not on board with the change yet but you need to talk to your team about it so given that mindset what what are some of the things you would do when you kicked off that conversation i think i can offer if i'm not challenged in any way i think i can just offer that this is what we're going to do this is the space we're moving into these are the timelines let's go and do something great that's easy when nobody has any idea what I think about it because then hopefully as a professional, you know, I can be professional. But if I want to give it energy and I want to give it some oomph that is genuine, then I do have to be able to say I'm excited about this and I do have to say, you know, I want to give it a lot of energy. And that's hard to do if you think it's not very good. But I think what I can say is, I want us to do a good job. I want us to be proud of this. I want the narrative to be something that people really connect to and are, and then look to us for what good looks like. I can give it reasons that would exist even if I did think it was a good idea, <laughs> right? right? Because if it was a yeah. good idea, we could be lazy. We could not do a good job, you know, but actually when you start to think about it, it doesn't really matter if we agree with it. Because actually, we need to do something to a high level regardless. Now, if people already know my thoughts, because they've known me long enough to know that I know that's not the way your brain works, guy. Hey, guy, I know you think this is rubbish. And that's why I think there's a pre-stage, which is if you share with people in a negative context your emotional reactions you're bad-mouthing something, you're, I'm not going to do this, this is not going to add any value, then it's, A, you've let your professionalism go, but it's then hard to inject the energy into it because you've already poisoned the well. 
which means if you're a yeah. year away from the change and you only just heard about it, and somebody goes, oh, but you won't want to do this. If I turn around and I go, no, you're absolutely right. I don't want to do it. But it's this humor and the smile and it's not poison. It's just a statement of fact. Then when it goes against me or my decision or I'm in, it's an enforced space, then I get to turn around and go, well, guess what? I said it should be painted green and we're painting it blue. <laughs> You know, and I'll bet you're not happy about that. I go, flipping well not. I don't think it should be that colour. But I get to go, but guess what? We're gonna paint it so damn well they're gonna think it was our they're gonna think it was our idea. Because I've yeah. not poisoned it because it's always duty and professionalism and our pride and our craft will always outweigh our the situation that we're in. So I think there's a you've got to be who you need to be after the decision's made way ahead of a decision being made right. you can't re so, retrofit yeah. your enthusiasm because oh well it's obviously a charade isn't it because you spent the last year and a half saying it's an absolute pile of poop but now apparently you're going to slap a smile on and try and motivate us that's not going to fly yeah it's such an interesting conundrum that leaders face all the time and this balance or this idea between being a leader that is enthusiastic and wants to be that for my people. And yet this part of me that feels like I don't agree with this, or I think it's a bad idea. And I think there's a lot of that, even if let's just imagine for somebody, they don't necessarily think this particular change is a bad idea. It might be one of 10 changes that are currently underway and the leader is completely overwhelmed. So one of the things I try to do, which, which I'm going to pick up on what you were saying, which is wonderful, is first of all, remembering my role here. I have the leader hat on. So that means by default that I need to conduct myself differently than I would if I was just one of the, the folks here. But how do I do that and still bring my authenticity with me? Because what we do know is human beings... Uh, take tone, they give much more weight to tone and action than they do to the actual words. So as you said, somebody knows Guy, they can kind of see, uh, I don't think Guy's actually on board with this change. So how do you bring that in as a strength and not use that as a poison in the well? So first of all, it means I'm going to make sure that I am prepared to have this conversation. So I will be as clear as possible about why I'm struggling with the change. And there could be a lot of good reasons that actually are true. This directly impacts my area. Nobody consulted me, right? We've just spent the last year moving in one direction and now I have a new boss and now we're completely changing direction, feeling like you're just throwing out the last year of work that I did. Or we have something that's happened, a market condition, where I now have to let go of half my team. Uh, half of the, and they're all amazing people, and I'm not on board with this change. So it is understand and honor the wisdom in what you're feeling, and then I I give a couple of ways to sort of shift your mindset about what your role is, doing exactly what it is. Maybe my role right now isn't to be a hundred percent on board with this change. So what is my role? My role is to. Uh, communicate this. My role is to also make it okay for my people to share their reactions to it. And I even might say, listen, I'll go first. 
I, here are my concerns. One, we already have a lot of change going on. So that's one concern. Two is, it's not that I'm not on board with this change. I just heard about it and I, and I need to, to some more time to process it. So again, we can do that together. So I'm bringing you all in because this change is happening, right? The, the decision is made. So we might not be able to influence that decision, but can we influence how the change gets executed? And as you said, let's make sure that we have a safe space here where we can talk about our concerns. And, and as your leader, I'm going to filter those up in a thoughtful way to the change sponsors because that matters you all are on the front line this is good data so i'll we'll package that and send that up but to your point i want no matter what happens that people to look at our team as we are stellar we knocked it out of the park so so it's this balance of holding the long-term goal as well as being authentic where it's okay that your team sees hey um, but that's different than poisoning the well. Poisoning the well, if I understand what you're saying, is, oh, my God, like, what dumb, blah, you know, came up with this change? Can you believe it? And you just join in to a bitching session. Sorry, even if some of those things are legitimate, that is not a helpful type of conversation. As we already said, our brains can hang on to that negative, And especially if we've already been stressed will give that a lot more weight than saying, listen, we'll talk about that. But you know what the leader can do? Let's also imagine this change is a great idea. Even that might be hard, but let's imagine something really good can come of this. So visualizing that we also know from a neuroscience perspective, even if it's imaginary, the more you have people visualizing and not only seeing, but feeling the benefits of what could come, even if it's rough in the short term, we now know that all people focused on that one thing, that positive vision actually makes it much more likely that that can happen. I love that. I'm working with an organization at the moment who are part of a much bigger organization and in that acquisition and integration, they're now being asked to do things that they wouldn't normally do, various systems and processes and, and whatnot. And they constantly resist. And yeah. they brought me in and said, hey, could you help us you know, manage our parent company? And after I've been in there a little bit of time, yeah, it's not about managing your parent company. It's about your narrative with the parent company. So I do martial arts done it all my life now if you if somebody goes to throw you and you resist and you're going to get thrown you're going to land hard because you're stiff and you're tense and etc with experience the moment you realize you've lost control you go with the throw faster if possible than you're being thrown so when you land you're able to control that before they catch up with you and that's wisdom and that's wisdom and experience, right? At first, I go to throw you, you resist, right? The moment you go, oh, I'm going, I've lost it, then you go faster. So I will offer this idea that says, when they go to implement things, implement them faster than they want. Ah, uh, love it. When they approach you to do, don't resist. Be the one that goes, oh, we'll, we'll trial it. And, and what does that do? Well, it, it, some of it's rubbish, yeah. But now... 
the trial is about influencing output. Exactly. As opposed to implementation, which is do as you're told. Ah. Exactly. So a lot of this is it's it's a it's a frame of reference, right? It's um 100%. whatever you want to call it. So I, I like this position of in essence, are we victims or are we going to own our own outcomes? It yes. is almost as Beautiful. basically simple as that. Is this going to be done to us or and of course, guess what's happened? Over a period of time, they're the go-to side of the organization they've now become the they've now become the lighthouse for the way things that you know if we want to if we want to be able to trust you know an part of the business to give us honest feedback and of course now when they bring in processes and these guys are kind of rewriting everything as they because they're doing it with you know with integrity but they're at the table making the decisions whereas everybody else is now the resistor Yes, you've completely given that me now a whole new way to frame this. And I would even say, you know, even in the moment, I love that analogy. Let's just imagine your team member asks you a tough question about the change. You have just described exactly what I tell people to do. You don't have to defend it, fight it or resist it. You can almost, you just join them. And to your point, go with the energy, which is, and if I can have a mindset that I'm not, right? I can become curious and be like, huh, actually, that's a very interesting question. Why don't I, and if I don't know the answer, even better. So what if I have this team meeting about this change that I'm not crazy about and my team, I know my team is going to, oh my gosh, they're going to ask a ton of questions that I can't answer or that are going to be bad. Wonderful. How about my mindset for that meeting is success isn't getting everybody to agree and be happy about the change. Success in this conversation is getting as many questions that I cannot answer and getting as many concerns on the table so that we really have the uh, the information we need to start to kind of dig in and do some work. I accept what you're saying because you know what? I feel the same way, or it's a valid question. The other thing that I think you said is so much of that emotional force that comes really just simply has to do with people. They're losing something. And again, especially oftentimes, even if it's silly, like I have an example in the book, you know, your, your doctor's office moves and it's now 25 minutes as opposed to 10 minutes. Is that an awful change? No, but it has an impact. And, uh, you know, I'm upset about it. It wasn't my choice. Nobody asked me. Fair enough. So in, in those moments, if somebody has, uh, is upset, the first question is, oh, tell me about what's upsetting for you about this change. Just I'm assuming there's wisdom there. So help me understand. And then oftentimes you find, well, guess what? Our brains love mastery. Our brains love ease, right? Um, Heuristics, right? We get to do the same thing over and over again. Once you take that away from me, you now threaten my sense of self, being a master. What if I have to be a beginner again, right? While, yeah, okay, life is all about the journey and beginnings, in the moment, I'm upset because I used to be the go-to person. It's how I had a, a real sense of self or value. So... I have this loss analysis tool that comes a little bit deeper. If you've got some ongoing resistance, how can you shift the conversation? Because sometimes people aren't even aware 
right? And sometimes it's simply, look, I'll get on board with the change, but right now I'm just upset about it, okay? And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's fair, right? And so it's just creating a little more space for this very normal reaction that we all have that oftentimes we forget when we're the leaders who have to implement the change, we forget what it's like to be on the other end. And so I often then remind people, if there has ever been a time when someone has introduced a change to you and they did it well, right? What did you appreciate? Like, remember that. Or remember when you were in their shoes where they didn't do it so well. Use that wisdom now. Um, because the, the three really principles of this book are, one, you're already a change expert. Okay, so remember your knowledge. Two, resistance isn't a problem. Resistance is normal. You know, don't act like it's, it's a judgment of any sort. And three, when you celebrate, celebrate the, the effort, even if it's not perfect, even if people make mistakes along the way, celebrate people trying something new versus perfection. That is really important to actually have some sustainability and you build some resilience. And to your point, you have some fun along the way, right? Let's, let's, let's have some fun. I love that. And Elizabeth, I, I, I want to talk to you about this now for the next four days, but apparently podcasts aren't allowed to last that long unless I, unless I start a new genre um, of the four day <laughs> podcast um, which I'm, I'm likely to try and do. So listen, I've loved every minute of this. I think you're an absolute joy. You're very clear and succinct about and passionate. And uh, it's lovely to hear you kind of talk. And each one of these things is, you know, each one of these bullet points that we've spoken about, you know, is, is a massive topic. So I'm going to say to people, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Moran, you know, forward, the book is forward, leading your team through change. Where do people access that book, Elizabeth? It's available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. It actually was published by John Hunt from your country, uh, which I loved. Okay, so I think that's something. Um, I'm, I'm, I think people go out and take a look at it. So forward, leading your team through change. Elizabeth, you have been an absolute joy. I'm going to bring us to a close. I'm going to get you to stay on for a few minutes just to make sure everything is loaded up. But for me and anybody that's listening, thank you so very, very much. Thank you. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.